to the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast. This message originally aired on Thanksgiving Sunday, so happy Thanksgiving. And this message is called Casting Lots, where our lead pastor, Jeff Yancey, works through Acts 1, 12 to 26, as part of our Acts of the Apostles sermon series. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com and just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. This morning on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we are continuing on through our new extended teaching series through the Acts of the Apostle as we are looking together at the story of the early church, the first church, for some fresh vision, some fresh inspiration for us today as a church as we re-engage in life together as a community of faith. And last week, as we kicked this series off, we looked at Acts 1, verses 1 through to 11, where before Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, empowering them to be his witnesses in the world as a result. And we talked last week about the power of the Holy Spirit and how at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is the difference maker, both in our lives and in our church, and how the Holy Spirit can do more in five seconds than we could ever do in 50 years. And so for us as a faith community, as people who long to live together as a community of spirit-filled witnesses for Jesus in the world, just as Jesus has called us to do, to live as world changers for Jesus. We know that we can only do that if we live dependent on the Holy Spirit, because again, the Holy Spirit is the difference maker. That was what we talked about last week as we launched into this amazing book, the book of Acts. This morning then, as we continue on in this story, the story of the early church, we come now to a somewhat interesting passage of scripture where in Acts 1 verses 12 through to 26, which is the passage that Kristen just read for us a few moments ago, we see what the apostles did. We actually see two things that they did right after Jesus ascended into heaven, right after Jesus promised them that the Holy Spirit would come, give them power to be his witnesses into the world, in the world, and then ascended into heaven. And while this particular passage is probably not as common as the one that we looked at last week, and frankly, while this passage is probably not one that I would uh, choose to preach from normally, unless I was preaching through the book of Acts like I am now, honestly, despite all that, it is an amazing passage of scripture. And there are some incredible God-inspired ideas and applications that we can draw from it, both in our individual lives with God and in our collective life together as a church. As we long together to be a community of spirit-filled witnesses in our world. So then, with all that said, if you've got your Bibles with you, I do want to invite you to take them up and to open them uh, with me to Acts 1. We're starting in verse 12. We read this. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. So about maybe a 10 minute walk or 15 minutes if you're wearing sandals like the disciples probably were. Verse 13, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying, which likely, by the way, this upper room would have been the same upper room where the last supper took place in the same place where Jesus appeared to the disciples many times in his resurrected 
body. Reading on, here are the names of those who are present. We've got Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas, son of James. And then listen, verse 14, they all met together and were what? Were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So here now are the apostles, along with several others, in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, just like Jesus had instructed them to do. And what are they doing as they wait? Well, they are praying, right? They're, they're praying a whole lot. In fact, Luke says that they constantly prayed all the time. They were constantly united, he says, in prayer. Now, put yourself in the disciples' sandals uh, for a moment and just think about how you would have felt had you just seen and heard all that these disciples had seen and heard as they had spent time with Jesus and seen him ascend into heaven and all of this. What would it have been like? What would it have felt like for the disciples in this moment, I wonder? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, which is Luke's first book that he wrote, this is the second book, he tells us, he describes that feeling the disciples had, where in the last two verses of that very book, Luke 24, verses 52 and 53, he says that after Jesus ascended up into heaven, the disciples, first, they worshipped him, and then secondly, they were filled with great joy, Luke says. That that's what it felt like for the disciples. They were filled with great joy. Which makes perfect sense when you think about it, doesn't it? Where after having just seen Jesus ascend into heaven right you know, in front of their eyes, and after having then seen two white-robed men appear, probably angels, telling them to stop staring into heaven, and after having been promised you know, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and fill them with power from heaven and empower them to be Jesus' witnesses in the world, life world-changing uh, witnesses for Jesus in the world, these guys must have been pumped, right? Like they may not have fully understood what it all meant just yet. And they probably didn't know how exactly the Holy Spirit was going to come and how all that was going to go down. And for that matter, they probably didn't even really know who or what the Holy Spirit was at this point. But they knew that something big was happening and that God was doing something amazing and that they got to be a part of it. And so Luke tells us that they were filled with great joy as a result, that they were excited and filled with a holy sense of anticipation as they looked forward to what God was going to do in and through them as a church a community, which led them then in Acts 1 verse 14 to being constantly united in prayer, Luke says, with one accord, as some other translations put it, joining together constantly in prayer. And at first glance, as you just maybe casually read through this passage, it can be easy to overlook this statement, constantly united in prayer, because you'll, you'll just think like, yeah, of course they prayed a lot. They were the disciples. Like, what's the big deal? Of course they uh, were spending time united constantly in prayer. But the reality is, is that actually this statement, there's quite a bit here in it worth reflecting on, uh, even though it is often overlooked. In fact, this phrase in English, one accord or united or together or with one mind, as some translations put it, it's actually the Greek word homothymodon. 
and it's one of Luke's favorite words, it seems, and is somewhat unique to him as he uses it 11 times throughout the book of Acts, with it appearing only once elsewhere in the entire New Testament. And so what then does the word homothymodon mean? Well, it's a musical term, actually, and it means to strike the same notes together. To strike the same notes together. And it speaks to this foundational sense of harmony and togetherness that the early church experienced as they prayed together with great joy and as they waited together for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill them with power. Or or in other words, another way to think about it is this, that there were no wrong notes in the room as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, that they were constantly united in prayer together. There were no wrong notes in the, in the room, no ugly attitudes, no pointing fingers, no pity parties, no gossipy stories, no secrets being told behind closed doors, no divisiveness or us versus themness in the room whatsoever. No wrong notes, just unity and harmony homothymodon amongst the disciples as they prayed together constantly with one heart and with one mind in one accord. Which honestly for us today in the year 2021 amidst all the fighting and conflict and all the anger and hostility and all the strong and divisive opinions that people have these days, this sounds pretty amazing doesn't it? Homothymodon, unity, harmony, togetherness with no discord, no dissent, no division, no wrong notes in the room. It sounds amazing to be of one accord like the disciples were united even if and when we disagree about some things. Because let's be honest, there's no shortage of things for us to disagree and to fight about these days, is there? COVID has unfortunately brought out A lot of different issues for us to divide over in life and in the church, uh, hasn't it? Whether we're talking about things like, you know, masks and lockdowns and whether or not they do or don't work or vaccines and vaccine passports and what people think about all that stuff and the role of the government and what constitutes government overreach and what doesn't and Then there's the science behind it all and who could be trusted and what doctor says what and how could you believe that and how could you be so stupid to believe that doctor or that scientist or or whatever. There's been no shortage of things to disagree about and to divide over in our world today. And I wish I could tell you that it's been different in the church, that we've experienced homothymodon in the midst of this divisive time Uh, But we haven't, right? There has been a lot of division in the church, despite the fact that we should be a community of people who are committed to loving our neighbor as ourselves and to, you know, sacrificing our own uh, wants and needs for the sake of others and all that kind of stuff. There's still been a lot of division in the church. Many churches have found themselves, you know, as divided as ever in this season because of these same very issues. In fact, just last weekend I was talking to someone who's in leadership at another church in another town and they told me that they are afraid that COVID is going to literally split their church in half as he estimated that half of his church is on the sort of you know anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-science side of things while the other half of the church is on the opposite side where like most of us, I think, at the gathering, they believe the science and they are vaccinated and, and so on. And it's, 
This issue in this church, it's, it's tearing them apart, he said, as both sides basically think the other side are full of idiots, and as both sides are actually appealing to the leadership of the church, saying that if you don't you know, do this or that or the other thing, then I'm going to leave. And even the leadership team, the, the board of this church, they themselves are split with 50% of them being on one side and 50% uh, being on the other. In this church, they just have no idea what to do. They're, they're afraid that this COVID issue, all these issues surrounding COVID, it's going to tear them apart. And while that might be a more extreme case, as most churches, I don't think, are, are you know, quite at that level of division, the reality is, is that there are a lot of churches that are really struggling to navigate these issues well. And there are a lot of wrong notes in the room on both sides of the conversation. I hear about this all the time from my pastor friends across the country. A lot of churches and a lot of pastors are reeling right now. And I got to tell you, honestly, I was just saying this to Kim the other day. I, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I am so thankful, so grateful to God to be the pastor here at the gathering and not some of these other churches that I've seen and heard about. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm being so serious right now. Uh, you know, it's not to say that we don't sometimes have disagreement and that we don't have people in our church who think one way or, or, or the other. But generally speaking, to be a part of a church that is just committed to loving each other well and to walking in unity and just to doing whatever we can to limit the spread of the virus in, in, you know, in the spirit of love for neighbor and putting others' needs before our own. Uh, all in response, of course, to what God in Christ has done for us in response to the gospel. It is a gift from God to be part of this church, to be a pastor of this church. And I am so grateful to be your pastor these days, probably more than ever, because it is unusual to have this kind of unity and this kind of connection in this season. As so many churches are struggling to experience homothymodon, one accordness, togetherness, unity in the gospel. Well, for the disciples here in our passage in Acts 1, you know what I think led them to live into such unity, to be in one accord like this? Well, it was the joy and the anticipation and the excitement around what God was about to do through them. Right? Where after having received a clear vision and a clear calling to mission from Jesus himself, which was, again, to be a spirit-filled community of witnesses in the world, world changers for Jesus. And after having been told by Jesus that the Holy Spirit was going to come and fill them with power, power to change the world, these disciples, they didn't have time to fight. And they didn't have time to foster division and discord and disunity. And they didn't have time to waste on divisive opinions because they were just so excited and focused on the mission that Jesus had placed before them and, and on what God was going to do through them when the Holy Spirit came and filled them with power from heaven. It makes me wonder for us and for many churches who are struggling these days at times, what if division and discord and disunity in the church is most often just a byproduct or a symptom of spiritual boredom and distraction? Whereas we lose our sense of calling and sense of mission in the world, we just can't help but fight with one another about these kind of silly things 
instead? What if that is most often what leads churches to split and to divide as opposed to moving forward together in the power of the Spirit? Spiritual boredom and distraction, a loss of focus on the mission. Because the disciples, they were clear on their calling and they were focused on the mission before them and it brought them together in one accord, constantly united in prayer. Luke says that's the first thing we see the apostles doing as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. Constantly united in prayer. I wonder what might it look like for us as part of God's church today to be people who are committed to homothymodon, having no wrong notes in the room, being constantly united together in prayer. Imagine what God could do. Well, the other thing we see uh, the apostles doing as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come is this, starting in verse 15, where we read this. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, so not just the 11 apostles, 11 disciples, but a, a larger group of believers, 120 believers were in one place at one time, Peter stood up and addressed them. And he said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Verse 18, Judas had bought a field with the money he received from his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Al-Kadama, which means field of blood. Yikes. Okay, so what we have here now really is a pretty unique situation where the 11 remaining disciples, the apostles, who were the ones who would be providing leadership to the church, they're a man short. There should be 12. The scriptures say there should be 12, but there are only 11 of them as Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus and then taken his own life as a result, which Luke describes for us in pretty graphic detail, doesn't he? And so the disciples, they need to decide who's going to take his Place. They had to appoint someone to replace Judas, which by all accounts was a pretty big decision, right? Positioning a key leader and apostles for a leadership role in the future church, fulfilling scripture by letting someone take Judas's place as one of the 12 and replacing one of the disciples who Jesus himself had selected. This was a massive decision. And for that matter, was probably a real test of their unity too, right? As I'm sure there were lots of different opinions about who that person should be and what exactly they should do and what God's will was for the situation and so on and so forth. And so you'd think then that the disciples, that the apostles there, that they would have taken this process slowly, right? That they would have maybe formed a search committee like many churches do today, or that they would have started accepting applications from a wide range of candidates and carefully discerned by interviewing them who, who would fit that role best and fasting and praying together as a church community, listening for the voice of God and trying to discern his will together as a community. But surprisingly, they didn't really do any of that. I mean, they prayed because they prayed constantly, right? Luke already told us that they were a community that prayed all the time. And so I'm sure they prayed a lot about this. But interestingly, they didn't wait until they had what I would call a burning bush moment. 
or until they heard the audible voice of God giving them clear and specific instruction about what to do next, as I'm sure we'd all love to have when, we're, when, we, when we are making major life decisions. But no, you know what they did in making this big leadership decision together as a group of leaders? You know how they discerned the will of God in this situation? They cast lots. They cast Lots. Look at how Luke describes it, starting in verse 23, where he says, And so they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, weird three-name guy, never trust people with three names, apparently, and Matthias. And then they prayed, right? First of all, I should say these, these two men, the one criteria they did have was that these two men had been with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus's life Ministry. So they selected these two men and then they prayed. Verse 24, O Lord, you know every heart. So here they are praying. They want to know God's will. Show us which one of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone to where he belongs. And then, verse 26, then they cast lots. Not then God appeared to them and spoke to them with an audible voice or not then there was writing on the wall and they knew for sure that this was God's will, but no. Then they cast lots and Matthias was selected, lucky Matthias, to become an apostle with the other 11, which must have just been such an affirming moment in Matthias's life, right? <laughs> Like, congratulations, you drew the short straw. <laughs> you get to be one of the 12. Now, I don't know about you, um, but to me, this story is kind of surprising because it doesn't really fit into my understanding of how God's will for our lives is typically discerned, right? Like to think that an apostle, an, a leader in the early church would have been discerned and appointed uh, by basically the flipping of a coin. That's kind of crazy to me. You know, years ago when Kim and I, along with the leadership here at the gathering at the time, were going through the process of discerning God's will around whether or not we should move to Ottawa and become the pastor at the gathering, I can, I can assure you that there was no coin flipping involved, <laughs> okay? Which in hindsight, it probably would have made things a lot simpler for us if we had just flipped a coin, you know, like heads, we move to Ottawa, tails, we stay home. But of course, that's not how anyone today discerns God's will for their life. And that's not how any church board today makes decisions around how God is leading the leadership of the church, nor should we, quite frankly. In fact, it's important to know now, what the disciples did here in appointing Matthias basically by flipping a coin, by casting lots, it's not prescriptive, but it's descriptive. Meaning that Luke here is not suggesting that this is the way or even a way to discern God's will for our lives and to make major life decisions by, you know, just flipping a coin. You know, there's no teaching in the New Testament whatsoever that suggests that. And so it's, it's, it's not prescriptive, but rather it's descriptive because Luke is simply just describing for us what the disciples did in this specific situation as prior to the Holy Spirit and prior to having the written word of God and prior to kind of understanding how you heard the voice of God. This was one of the way that people in the Old Testament made decisions by casting 
lots. And so this doesn't mean then that this is a good way or a right way to discern God's will for your life by just leaving it up to chance. At the same time, though, I will say that this story does get me thinking a little bit about how it is in general ways that we do make big life decisions and how we do discern God's will for our lives today and how much humility is required as oftentimes we might think that we know what God's will is for our, for our lives, but we actually don't know and we can't always know what God's will for our lives actually is. You know, sometimes people will say things like, God told me that this specific thing is what I'm supposed to do. Or I heard from God that I am called to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Or I, I feel like God is leading me to fill in the blank and, and things like this. And I've got to tell you, that for me at this point in my life and in my faith journey with God, honestly, anytime I hear that kind of thing, a red flag goes off in my head and I have a check in my spirit, as some people say. Not because I don't think that God can't speak to us today and not because I think that we can't communally discern God's will for our lives, but simply because unless you and others with you have audibly heard the audible voice of God in your life telling you specifically what it is that you're to do, or unless you've heard God's voice speaking directly to you through a burning bush like Moses did or something crazy like that, you know, giving you specific instruction about what you are to do next, unless you've had some sort of crazy experience like that, no one can know with 100% certainty if what you've heard is from God or not. You can't. You can't know for 100% sure. And so don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's why it's called faith. It's because we aren't afforded certainty in life, but we are called instead to trust and to obey God in faith anyway. And so to me, when people are just so certain that what they have heard is from God saying that this is what God has called me or told me to do. This is, this is how he's leading me. This is, I'm just being obedient to what he has told me to do. I sometimes have a hard time believing them because oftentimes there's actually an ulterior motive at work behind those words. Now, I, I want to be clear about this as we talk about hearing the voice of God. We know that anytime we open the Bible, the, the word of God, God's written word to us, we can hear the voice of God because it is his word to us. And so his voice can be heard loud and clear through it as we listen for him to speak. And we also can hear God's voice through the voice of other people, through our community of faith, as God often speaks to us through other people. And we also can hear God's voice in our own hearts, we can have promptings and senses that God is leading us in this direction or another. And all that is fine and good and an important part of following Jesus and living into a life of faith with God. But when it comes to knowing God's specific will for specific decisions in your life, whether we're talking about things like who it is that we should or shouldn't marry, and where it is that we should or shouldn't go to school, or, or where it is that we should or shouldn't work, which career we should take, where it is that we should or shouldn't live. The Bible does not give us that level of certainty. And we can't know for sure what God's will is for us all the time in situations like 
these. If God even has a specific will for some of these things beyond inviting us to make wise decisions, decisions that honor God. In, in fact, even the, the disciples later on in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit had come and thankfully the church had moved on from casting lots as a way to discern God's will, they didn't know for sure what God's will was all the time either. For example, in Acts 15, after trying to discern God's will about another important issue that they were working through together as a church, you know what they said once they had made a decision? They said humbly that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, meaning we could be wrong here. This could go sideways, but we all agree and we all feel like this is something uh, where God is leading us. And so unless we are told otherwise, we're going to go with that. We're going to walk in faith and trust that God will make it all work together because it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Notice, no, thus saith the Lord's or God told me's or I know that this is what God wants me to do, or this sort of thing, but just humble, open-handed faith where they basically said that as best as they could discern, this was probably where God was leading them. I mentioned a few moments ago about the discernment process of moving here to be the pastor at the gathering. And the reality is, is that honestly, we really did feel like God spoke to us in a variety of ways through that process that uh, we felt like he had called us here to Ottawa as we heard uh, his voice to us through scripture multiple times, specifically through uh, the parable of the talents. That was a passage of scripture that God was speaking to me through specifically during that time of my life. And, you know, we also heard God's voice through the affirmation of others, through the community of faith that God had placed around us. And we even had some people give us prophetic words and we had this sense in our own spirit, like this was a good thing to do, that God was leading us to Ottawa. We truly felt led by God to move here. But despite all that, even though we had all these uh, different ways that God was speaking to us, we were never 100% certain. Never. In fact, I remember saying, I'm, I'm about 80% sure that God is calling us to do this. I, I could be wrong. I could be mistaken. This could go sideways on us, but it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And that's good enough to me. We're going to walk in faith and trust God with the results instead of looking for certainty in this. And so let me just say this to you as an encouragement coming out of this story. Anytime you hear someone with certainty say that they have heard from God about something, saying something like, you know, God told me or thus saith the Lord or whatever. Listen, don't be quick to believe them. Because often there is ulterior motives going on behind the scenes. There, there's some manipulation, maybe even spiritual abuse that is taking a place. So pay attention to the flags going off in your head. Pay attention to that check in your spirit. Because listen, if what they're saying is from God, they don't need to preface it by saying it's from God. Because if it's already from God, we can trust that uh, he'll take care of it. That if it is his word, if it is his will, he'll make it clear to you. You don't need to tell people, this is something God told me. But if it's not from God, on the other hand, and they say that it is, at best, it's dishonest. And that person should not be trusted. And at worst, it is a form of spiritual abuse and manipulation. And it should be called out for what it is. Guys, we need to walk in humility and faith.
knowing that ultimately God's will for our life, God's specific will for our life, is that we would choose to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ each and every day, knowing that He will always lead and guide us, even or especially when we aren't sure what to do. That's why it's called faith. Those are the two things that we see the early church doing as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, right? They were constantly united in prayer as they looked forward to the ways that God was going to use them, as they anticipated how God was going to use them to advance his mission in the world. And number two, they trusted God to lead and to guide them as they selected a new leader, drawing straws and trusting that God's will would be accomplished through that means. For us today, as a church, as people who already have the Holy Spirit, remember the the apostles here, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So as people who already have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross in rising again and ascending to heaven and then sending his spirit to fill all believers, I wonder for us today, what might being of one accord look like for us here and now, as we look forward to how God wants to use us as we emerge from the pandemic together, as we focus on the mission that God has before us to be his spirit-filled witnesses in the world, world changers for Jesus. How might that cause us to become constantly united in prayer, to become people who are unity builders instead of division makers in our life and in our church? And then secondly, what might humbly seeking God's will for our lives and for our church look like as we seek to be a community of faith empowered by the Holy Spirit together, where we don't look to have certainty around what God's will is, but we look to walk in wisdom and humility in community with one another. Well, whatever all that looks like, That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And that's the kind of church that I sense through the scriptures that God is calling us to be a church like the church in Acts. So for you, for me, how is God inviting us to respond to his word as a church together? That's the question this morning. And it's the question every morning. Let me pray for us. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that even when we can't know for sure the way forward, that you promise to lead and guide us by your spirit as we walk in faith. We confess that sometimes we arrogantly think we know more than we do. Uh, We know your will with 100% certainty that we know what it is that we're called to do, but we recognize that we can't always know that. That's why we have to trust you. And God, we also recognize this divided world that we live in, divided churches even in our world today. People who are fighting and splitting over COVID issues and other issues. We don't want to be like that. We want to be constantly united in prayer with one another, praying with and for each other, putting aside our own opinions, our own preferences, our own ideas for the sake of others, just like you did for us in coming to earth, leaving behind your divine identity to become human, to become one of us and dying a criminal's death on the cross on our behalf. We want to be people who are shaped by that good news, by that gospel and live out of that place of good news. Unite us together in love. Make us one of one accord. Homothymodon. Make us humble people, God. We long to hear your voice and be obedient to you, but recognize that, man, 
There's so much that is a mystery and we need to trust you and walk in faith. Use this story in the book of Acts to shape our community, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with a guest speaker, Josh Wong. Can't wait to hear from him. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.